Chapter 11, Part 2, in the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Kevin Swanson. Um, I want to congratulate you on something this morning, a couple different things. Number one, I want to congratulate you for the fact that the multi-ethnic church is alive and well. Okay? However... The multi-ethnic church is not easy, and it never will be easy. But the multi-ethnic church speaks a loud and clear message to those around us that we can do this, that we can worship together, that we can be in each other's lives, that we can study the word of God together, we can back each other up in spite of our different ethnicities. It's hard work but it's good work. So thank you, thank you, thank you for hanging in there with that. And I know that our, our, our law enforcement folks, most of them have left, but I just wanna say the multi-ethnic police force is hard work as well, but it's good work and it's the right work. And thank you for presenting that to us this morning. We really appreciate it. I also want to congratulate you on your journey through the Gospel of John. I believe you started this on the first Sunday in January of this year, and you may or may not realize it, but today you are exactly at the middle point of the book of John, the Gospel of John, this account that he wrote, an eyewitness to the life and ministry of, the G of Jesus Christ, and he felt it was so important that he committed it all to writing which you and I still have access to today. And you are at the middle point right now. You've been through 10 chapters and you're halfway through 11. You got 10 chapters to go. So hang in there. It's a good journey for you. And I'm so thankful that uh, you've invited me to participate in this one Sunday. I'm going to be preaching this morning from John chapter 11, 17 through 37. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. And I'm preaching under the title, Do You Believe This? The words of Jesus, not the words of Pastor Kevin. Words of Jesus. Do you believe this? Um, I have three points to this sermon this morning because that's what the smart people tell me we're supposed to have is three points to a sermon. And the first point is believe. You can probably remember that. Probably don't even have to write it down. Believe. And we're going to look first at John chapter 20, almost at the end of this book, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, where the Apostle John writes these words, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here the author is doing something interesting. He's almost to the end of the book and he's reflecting back on everything he's written so far and, here's, and he's saying, here's why I wrote this. This is the purpose of me writing this book to you. And there's two things that I want to point out in, in these brief words that John has for us there. The first one is simply this. The audience that John has in mind is us. 
It's us. He's not writing something to the people that are his peers, that are around and have observed and, and participated in what Jesus is doing. No, he's recording this so that the generations to follow will have an accurate account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. In, in, in the second verse there, 31, John says this, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We are the target audience for what John wrote. The second thing I want to point out from these two verses is he's referring to something called signs. He said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. What's he talking about? The signs that, Jesus, that, that, that John is referring to here are those miraculous events, those miraculous works that Jesus did while he was here on this earth. And John is telling us that there are so many of those. Can't even write them all down. But he's saying, the ones I did write down, I've done so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, you may or may not realize this, but you have already been through six of the seven signs that John records in this book. He handpicked seven different things that Jesus did. No, these are so important. Everybody needs to know them. And in your study thus far, you've already been through six of those miraculous events, those signs, or what I call the works of Jesus. These will be familiar to you if you've been here since the first of the year. Jesus, in chapter 2, takes plain old water and he turns it into the best wine ever in a moment. In chapter 4, Jesus gets a request from a political leader to come to his house and heal his son who's on his deathbed. And Jesus says, nope, you go home. He's already well. And this guy goes home and he finds that at the same moment that Jesus told him those words, his son's healing happened. Jesus, in chapter 5, intentionally seeks out a man who had been unable to walk for 38 years. And he's in a very crowded place with a bunch of people that are begging and stuff like this. And Jesus seeks him out, and he not only heals him so that he can walk, he strengthens the man's legs, and he heals his balance so for the first time in 38 years he can stand up, roll up his mat, and walk away. Chapter 6, Jesus feeds multiple thousands of people from a tiny little bit of food in a very public setting where everybody got to watch it happen and everybody had more than enough food to eat. Later on in chapter 6, when Jesus had sent his disciples to go across the, the lake there in the boat, he says, I'll catch up to you later, and he's good to his word. He catches up to them by walking on top of the water. Not swimming, walking on top of the water. Okay, this is a God thing, right? Don't try this at home. Walking on the water and climbing into the boat. They all observe this happening. And then the sixth one, that the final one that you have been exposed to so far, is Jesus giving sight to a man, an adult man, 
who had never seen since birth. He never had eyesight. So it wasn't like Jesus was restoring something that he lost. He was giving him something that he never had before. And it created a huge stir in the community because everybody knew this guy as the person who was blind from birth. And now all of a sudden, he has his vision. And there's one more sign coming to complete the seven, but you gotta come next week for that. We're not getting there today, sorry. It's coming. But John is saying that I've chosen these seven for you so that you can believe who this man is because these things that he has done are not the kind of thing that a normal human being can do. I want to pause for a moment and just look at the word believe for a moment because we all use it all the time. If you pay attention to conversation, you hear the word believe and it'll come off of your own lips too. And, and I have this chair here this morning. And I can tell you confidently, church, I believe that this chair will support me if I sit in it. I've, I've seen other people sit in it. I have sat in this very chair myself before. It has never failed. I believe that this chair will hold me up if I choose to sit down in it. That is a tiny fraction of what Jesus is talking about when he uses the word belief. I can get a little closer to it with an example by saying that 50 years ago, I came to the point of believing that that woman back there was the one I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. I had gotten to know her, I had listened to her, I had watched her, and I believed with everything in me that this was the woman that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. That's getting closer to what Jesus is saying here when he uses the word believe. Because in, in the biblical sense, believe has a relational aspect to it. I have no relationship with this chair. It's it's just an inanimate object. But Jesus is talking about a relationship with people. Belief is life-giving. And he says so in these passages that we're going to look at today. And, and belief demands a commitment. So, so my example of my relationship with Linda is a little bit closer to what is being talked about here when we see the word belief. Don't just think, Something simple like, I believe this chair will hold me up. So these works of Jesus that John pens in this book, which are there to encourage belief in us, show us that this man Jesus was capable of incredible things. And if Jesus indeed could do these works, which he did, then he's worth listening to then his, his words are worth paying attention to once we see these works that he is doing that prove that he is indeed the Son of God. And so we also find this partner list in the Gospel of John of seven statements that Jesus makes, seven, seven works, miraculous works that he did, and seven statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, Pastor Kevin, there, Jesus says way more than seven things in the Gospel of John. You're right, he does. But seven different times, Jesus prefaces a statement with the two words, I am. These are called the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John that John chose to put down. Now, 
For you and I, to use the word I am is not a big deal. Nobody gets scandalized by it. But in that day, among the Jewish people, if somebody uses the phrase I am, it carried huge significance. And it all comes out of the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when God and Moses are having a conversation. And it reads like this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And what God is doing here is he's revealing his name to Moses. He says, I, I, I am. I am the, the self-existent one. Nobody created me. And you, go, you tell those people that it's I am who sent you to them. And so from that point forward, the Jewish people, anytime they hear I am, they directly equate it with God because God revealed his name to Moses, I am. And here comes Jesus, and we read in chapter 6, you've already been there, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The religious leaders are scandalized that Jesus would, would say that. I am the light of the world in chapter 8. I am the door in chapter 10. I am the good shepherd for the sheep who lays his life down for the sheep. Every time Jesus makes one of the I am statements, he's claiming to be God. We know Jesus as the Son of God. These people certainly did not. There are three more I am statements coming in the book of John before you're completed. You've been exposed to four of them already. We'll see one today, and then there are two more. And my conclusion is that the works of Jesus validate the words of Jesus. If this man can do this, then he must be telling us the truth over here. And the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus together create the context for belief in this man. It just makes sense. If he can do these things, we should believe what he says. And we listen to what he says, hmm, yeah, he's not just one of us. He's somebody well beyond a human being. My second point this morning, um, you probably don't have to write this one down either, is believe. And I want to go back to last week when Pastor Sunita preached a powerful message about the first part of John chapter 11. And in this message, there's this awkward conversation that takes place between Jesus and his disciples. They, they are at some distance from this community of Bethany where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live, the siblings. And the two sisters send a message to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. So Jesus and the disciples get this message and Jesus says, um, Lazarus is sleeping. He's using that term figuratively. And the disciples take it literally and they say, oh, well, if he's sleeping, that's good. He'll sleep and he'll get better and then he'll get up. And Jesus says this in John 11, 14 and 15. Or John writes this, I'm sorry. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. 
And what Jesus is, is doing here is, is he is timing these events so that he and the disciples will not arrive in ben Bethany while Lazarus is still alive. Why? That seems like the compassionate thing to do, right? Well, Jesus had already proven himself to be a healer. And his disciples had seen it and participated in it more than once. They know that this man has the power to heal. He can put his hands on somebody and heal them. Or he can heal them from a distance and restore eyesight, give eyesight to somebody who's never had it before. They knew this. They'd watched this. This isn't, this isn't new news to them. But Jesus wanted them to see him do something far beyond healing, way beyond what they had seen him do before. And if Lazarus is still living when they get there and Jesus heals him, then they're not going to have access to that new thing that Jesus wants to reveal to them. So he says, for your sake, disciples, for your belief, we're not going for two days. And then when they did go, the disciples experienced something they never would have imagined. Spoiler alert, it's going to happen next week. Which brings me to today's passage. John chapter 11, verses 17 through 37. Jesus and his disciples have made the trip now to Bethany. And John writes that on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. 
But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? It's the word of the Lord for us today. Which brings me to our third point this morning, which predictably you can surmise is belief. <laughs> belief. Jesus Christ's interchange with Martha in this passage today is absolutely critical for us. We learn tons from this interchange. We find out that Martha already believes that Jesus has the power to heal. Whether she's seen it or just heard it, we don't know. But her comment to Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died, is an indication that she knew that Jesus had the power to heal. Jesus' response to her is, your brother will rise again. And Martha quickly responds, I know, I know. He will rise again at the resurrection of the last day. And during this particular time, there was a group of religious leaders among the Jews called the Pharisees, and they were really big on resurrection. And they, they taught that all good Jews at some point in time in the future who had died and been buried, they were going to be resurrected to life once again. Now, all of the Jewish religious leaders didn't believe that. The Pharisees did, and, and, and Martha's referring to that here. She says, yes, I know Jesus. He, she, he will arise when all of us do at the end of time. Jesus responds to this comment in verses 25 and 26 by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? So this is the fifth of the I am statements of Jesus. We talked about the other four. There's two more coming. But this one is kind of a, of a pinnacle of I am statements for Jesus because not only is he clearly claiming to be God, and he's not claiming to be one who can facilitate resurrection, but he is saying that it is in him that resurrection and life happen. And that belief in him results in spiritual life, even if physical death happens. This is why, church, for those of us who believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, have a very strange experience when one of us dies. Because we experience the grief, we experience the loss, but if that person was a believing person, we know that we will be reunited again, and we know that that person is in a much better place after they have passed on from this world. The name Michael Zavada, I know, means something to many of you in this room here today. I see some heads nodding. Uh, Michael Zavada and his wife came to Metro to visit. They lived in the proximity here. They came to Metro to visit several years ago. And I was sitting in the service here, and what caught my attention was that there was another old white guy in the room. 
And I was like, okay, I got to meet this guy. <laughs> and I can still remember, I came over, he was over here someplace, and I introduced myself to Michael and his wife, Pammy, and we had a nice conversation. And that conversation turned into Tuesdays at a coffee shop with Michael Zavada every single week. And, and over our time together, I got, to, um, I got to hear some of Michael's story. And for those of you who know Michael, you know that he was not reluctant to tell about his past issues with addictive behaviors, but that he had been clean and sober for over a decade. Michael was a therapist, and he was frustrated in his vocation because where he worked, he wasn't allowed to bring his faith and belief in Jesus Christ into any of his therapy and counseling that he did, even though he knew that many of his people needed to hear that. And, and a long story short, Michael eventually came on staff at Metro. And then he was in a context where he could bring Jesus into his counseling and into his therapy. And, and I think he was the happiest vocationally that he had ever been in his life. Now, you, most of you who were around will probably agree with me that when Michael suddenly passed away, we felt this was an untimely death and we knew it was a huge loss to us as Metro Community Church. We had a memorial service for him. But there was this sense among us that we know where Michael is. We know we're going to be reunited him because of the common belief that we had in Jesus Christ. And so we experienced peace, a level of peace in the midst of our sadness and our loss. And Jesus is making it clear in this passage that everyone who during their physical life believes in him will never experience spiritual death. That our spiritual life, our relationship with God continues on beyond our physical life. And this is something new that Jesus is presenting to Martha here. Now, this spiritual death, if you will, has its roots in our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they chose to rebel against God in spite of what God had told them. Jesus is sent to this earth. Jesus, the Son of God, is sent to this earth by his Father to rescue humanity by defeating spiritual death. Our response is to believe, to believe that we are indeed separated from God because of our sins and we are helpless to do anything about it on our own. And to believe that God has sent someone to rescue us, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, that is Jesus. And his provision reunites us with his Father and with himself and indeed gives us spiritual life. Now, these are huge statements that Jesus is making to Martha here. And many people who were president, present around them at the time um, were not happy with what Jesus was saying. This was too much for them to believe. But if you go back to what John says of his purpose for this gospel, which was certainly at play that day, the works of Jesus affirm the words of Jesus. 
And the things that this man had done and that John recorded for us give validity to the words that he says. So when Jesus shares these words with Martha, they become believable words because of who they are coming from. The works of Jesus affirm the words of Jesus. In a few minutes, in that scene, Jesus is going to completely crush any doubts about who he is and the truth of his words. That's for next week for you all, but it's coming. Jesus' final word to Martha in this passage comes in the form of a question. And it's simply these four words, do you believe this? And when Jesus uses the word this, what he's talking about is the statement that he made. Do you believe, Martha, that I am indeed the resurrection and the life? Do you believe, Martha, that, that, that if you believe in me, you will live? Do, do you believe that whoever lives by believing in me will never die? Martha is quick to respond with the word yes. But then she goes on and makes a statement that I believe is an epic statement in this passage. She, she doesn't just say yes. She says, I believe you are the Messiah, the rescuer, the one sent from God to rescue us, the Son of God who was to come into the world. Two parts to her response. Going on record quickly, yes, yes, Jesus, yes. And then elaborating that she believes he's the Messiah, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. The right answer. Certainly the right answer. So as we close today, let me just ask the question, where does this leave us as we listen to the words of John as he records what Jesus said and what Jesus did? Remember that we're the target recipients of this book that John wrote. He gives us a first-person eyewitness account of what he saw Jesus do and what he heard Jesus say. And John is determined that everybody needs to have access to this message. This should not be a well-kept secret. Jesus is not just telling Martha these things, that he's the resurrection and the life. By the words that Jesus chooses, he is saying that this news is for all of humanity. It's for everybody. Everybody is welcome. So each one of us today, I believe, is faced with the same question that Jesus poses to Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And I would only imagine in a, in a group this size that we're probably all over the place in terms of the answer to that question. I would like to believe that there is a significant number of us here today that can answer yes as readily as Martha answered yes in terms of do we believe that Jesus is who he says he was and came to do what he said he came to do. I'm confident that there are several that can say yes. 
Others of us might be in a place where we would answer, I think so. I, think so. I, I, come, I come to church on Sunday. I grew up in a Christian home. I, I, I think, I think. If that's where you find yourself today, then I would just challenge you that, that, that you should find somebody to affirm that belief with. Martha, by speaking it out loud, kind of cements that in her own soul. Yes, Jesus, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who was to come into the world. I would challenge you to share that with somebody else, maybe with one of the prayer people at the end of the service, maybe with me. I'm not going anywhere. There's others of us here today that are probably at a point, if you were honest, that you look back and, and, and say, I, I, I used to be, I used to be in that place. Yeah, I, I used to be able to affirm that, but I haven't really been living into that for quite some time. Okay, thanks for being honest. If that's you today, then I just encourage you to own that. Own where you really are, but then also take a step towards reaffirming your belief in Jesus. And again, find somebody to share it with out loud with them. And then there may be some of you here today whose answer is no. Do you believe this? No, I, I frankly don't. My first time here or whatever, maybe you've been coming a long time, but you're more um, here because of other reasons. If that's where you find yourself today, I would point you back to what John points out here in this book that the works of Jesus are nothing to take lightly. This man is the Son of God. And as the Son of God, we really should believe the words that he says to us. And maybe by reviewing that or maybe even after you're gone today, looking back into this passage and reading it over, you will realize, oh, this really is something different than just somebody's opinion. And this is something I need to respond to. And I would encourage you to follow through on that path. And God will meet you there. God will meet you there. But maybe today is the day for you to make that affirmation and become a part of the family of God. Let me close for us in prayer. God, first and foremost, I want to thank you for your generosity to us in giving us your word. You did not leave us without a witness. I thank you for the Apostle John and his faithfulness to, to write down the very things that he experienced in his life with Jesus. God, as we read these words and understand how broad your love is for us and what you offer to us, what you have made available to us through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that those of us that have said that yes will rejoice and rest in that. And those who may not be there yet, Lord, that this, this day would move them closer to what you have in mind for them. I pray, God, for each one who is here today 
would you please just meet us right where we are, but don't leave us where we are. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.